welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined remotely through the magic powers of Skype by Joe Wolfon. What up? And Alex Wong. What up? <laughs> you might know Alex's Woj voice from his own podcast, At Large, but uh, he's filling in for cash today. And uh, yeah, we're going to look, we're going to talk about uh, both the Western and Eastern conferences. Uh, we'll start out West. Um, there's sort of there's sort of an open debate right now in terms of who's the second best team. Obviously, the Warriors are at the at the top, and you know, unless like some serious injuries happen, they're going to stay at the top. But I think the Rockets, OKC, and also the Lakers have all made a strong push in recent weeks um, as the second best team in the West, and also, of course, the Denver Nuggets, who are actually leading the West. But um, I'll just open up to you guys. I mean, Wolfon, who do you who do you have out of that group of four teams as the second best team in the Western Conference right now? I think the Nuggets have made a pretty strong case just in terms of the teams they've beaten. The fact that they're doing it while being really, really banged up. Uh, they haven't had Gary Harris for a few weeks now. Millsap's been out. And uh, they continue to kind of grind out wins. I think Jokic has obviously been un- unbelievable, but like the contributions that they've gotten just up and down the roster and the depth they've managed to cobble together, um, you know, from the likes of like Monty Morris, Malik Beasley, Trey Lyles, uh, Miles Plumley, uh, or sorry, Mason Plumley, like the, the guys they have coming off of the bench have done such a good job of filling in those gaps. And then, you know, it's like when they've needed an offensive fulcrum, Jokic has, has been able to basically make it work. They run everything through him. And, uh, you know, Jamal Murray can get hot for a fourth quarter and carry them over the finish line. Uh, I've been really, really impressed with what that team has managed to do. Um, despite their their you know, being shorthanded for as long as they have and i think when they're when they're healthy you know assuming that they do get healthy uh, at the right time they have i think the right combination of players um to be able to really handle any sort of matchup obviously outside of golden state but that to me has been okc probably running like a close third i think uh, behind Denver just because their defense has been so, so good. And Paul George is like on another level right now. So that's where I'm at. Uh, Alex, what about you? Who do you got out of that group of four? Well, I'm, I'm actually going to say the Lakers. You know, preseason, okay. I predicted that the Lakers and the Warriors were going to go to the conference finals. And I have to stick by that. You know, the thing for me is like if we're talking about second best team, you know, I think about in terms of who has the highest ceiling when you get to the playoffs, like who can go the furthest. And like, I know the Lakers, you know, they've been inconsistent, but you know that they're going to add at least another piece or two to the rotation before the end of the season. You get to the playoffs, you surround LeBron with the shooters, you know, he negates a lot of flaws about the team. And, you know, outside of, you know, an all-time great Spurs team in 2014, and of course, obviously, the Kevin Durant led Warriors the last two years. Like, those are the only teams that LeBron's lost to in the playoffs, like, since the 2011 NBA Finals. Like, I still will take a LeBron led team with competent guys against any of these teams outside of the Warriors. Yeah. Um, I think there's like an interesting, uh, almost like a dichotomy with certain teams. The Lakers and the Rockets, I think I would put in that category. Teams that I don't, like, I wouldn't call either of those teams the second best team in the West right now. I'd put both the Thunder and Nuggets ahead of them. But I also don't think I would pick either the Nuggets or the Thunder to beat either either of those teams in a playoff series. You know, like, the Rockets' big issue right now is that they don't have any depth whatsoever. Their bench is a complete disaster. But I think 
you put them in a playoff series and I, I still think that they have just so many like elite offensive players that I don't even necessarily think that it would matter. And, you know, the, the Lakers, just the LeBron factor alone, I think, you know, he is good enough to carry what has been like a pretty decent, if inconsistent cast of role players past, uh, you know, a team like the Thunder that is good, but also I think has some fatal flaws like their lack of shooting and um, a still sort of perilously thin uh, cast of playmakers. So um, as good as, as the Nuggets and the Thunder have been, I would still worry about them in a playoff series against teams like the Lakers and Rockets that just have the, the high-end talent that those teams can't match. Yeah, I was going to say, what the Rockets, I mean, James Harden obviously basically dictates like everything that team does. Um, and he's been incredible of late. I mean, he went up against the Lakers. He dropped 50 points uh, in addition to a triple-double, by the way. You know, no biggie. 50 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. And then he, you know, beats the Memphis Grizzlies with 32 points and then 47 against Utah and then 35 against Washington. And that game against Washington in particular, I mean, they just set an NBA record for three-pointers made with the uh, – was it 26 three-pointers um like i think look the rockets have been really inconsistent all year but they just have that explosive quality and most of that is because of harden harden can literally score at will and um you know like that's the that's the one area where you can really really bank on the rockets although i I guess the really the concern with is like how much do you trust chris paul at this point because he's sort of been he's still done a great job of playmaking but if you just take into account his last 10 games it's, it's not very good. I mean, he's averaging 13.3 points per game over that stretch, shooting 37%. He's still averaging nine assists and getting two steals. But, I mean, how much do you trust Chris Paul as a second guy? Because Chris Paul really stepped up in the playoffs last year, and it was great until he got hurt. Um, you know, we've seen what happens when basically James Harden leads the team basically by himself in the playoffs. It doesn't really fully translate, and he needs Chris Paul to step up. And for me personally, I don't really trust Chris Paul this year. Yeah, I think you've documented on this wonderful podcast, you know, a few times that, you know, CP just hasn't been the same this year. And you look at the past with the Rockets, like in the playoffs, like and with Mike D'Antoni teams in general, and especially this team, because this team, like you said, doesn't have the depth, like they're going to run out of gas in the playoffs and they're going to have to push so much harder in the regular season too. this year, you know, in terms of seeding. And, you know, just getting themselves into a good spot, just heading into the playoffs. And they don't have any guys like behind Chris to kind of make up for that when he's when he's falling off. So I think that's a huge concern for Houston. I think you have to be concerned, too, just about Harden and whether he's going to be able to hold up. We've seen him sort of run out of gas in the playoffs before. And what made them so great last year was just like as good as Paul was, like he was able to uh, take some of that load off of Harden. And this year, Harden's minutes are back up. His shot attempts are back up. His usage rate is up. He's at 37.3%, like highest usage rate in the league. And so if Chris Paul doesn't return to form, I think you have to be a little bit worried about the toll that that's going to take on Harden uh, toward the end of the season and whether and how far he's going to be able to carry this team. Like he, he has been absolutely unbelievable for the last couple of weeks. And the team's turnaround, I think, can largely be attributed to the fact that he has just been playing out of his mind. But where are the rest of the contributions going to come from? I mean, I think this team is definitely going to be looking to make a trade or at least play the buyout market because they simply do not have enough warm bodies right now. Uh, And their defense is still a pretty big concern, I think. Um, 
so they need help like j just in terms of <laughs> of like bolstering their depth a little bit um but they also need help in terms of like chris paul finding himself and whether that's going to happen for a guy who is you know 33 years old and has a ton of miles on his body um i'm not really sure um what about okc and all this we've talked a lot about uh, the rockets and lakers and you know okc the, the i guess the issue with okc really is i don't fully trust uh, russell westbrook and i think so far this year, a lot of their success has really come on the defensive end. I think Russ, he's been a lot better defensively, but we've seen in the playoffs, you know, there's sometimes where Russ will just completely take over. He'll take like 40 shots, and it's just not conducive for the offense. I think defensively, they are probably the most terrifying team in the Western Conference. I think they could actually um, push the, the Warriors around. I mean, we've seen that, you know, two, I guess two, three years ago now in the uh, in the Western Conference uh, the finals, but... You know, like, this is a team where you got Steven Adams, you got Jerry and Grant, you got Paul George, like, um, you know, Westbrook, you got Schroeder as well. Like, there's a lot of, like, just very physically imposing players on this team that they can really bully a team. I'm just a little bit concerned about their offense right now. Yeah, I don't think any, like, what has changed, like, OKC's playing a lot better, obviously, but what's going to change come playoff time, right? Like, I think defensively, obviously, they're a strong defensive team, but are they strong enough where they can make up for those, like, offensive shortcomings and be able to actually win a seven game series against a really good team like if they were to go up against you know i know utah's probably not the best example because they're not playing that well this season but if they're going up against a team with the same profile as like last year's utah team in the first round like i think if you break down the matchup it would still be the same concerns on offense right with westbrook and with the shooting and where all of that is coming from you know the defense is good i think for like 82 game schedule but when you get to a seven game series in the playoffs and you know it's the top seven guys who are playing and you're going up against some of the top offenses in the league you know they they have the guys like with paul george like you know if roberson ever comes back like to have the defense to go up against the warriors matchup against the warriors but i'm not sure it'll hold up over seven games and right now like honestly jeremy grant's like their most reliable three-point shooter outside of paul george guys shooting 39 percent from three and he's a career what like 30 percent three-point shooter i don't know that they can really rely on him um you know over the course of the season or in a playoff series and i, I will say I, like i think the shooter edition has been really helpful uh and will probably help them avoid a situation where westbrook is just like commandeering the offense and taking 40 plus shots in a game uh, because they do have another player who can kind of uh, play on ball and and take over some of those playmaking duties. And if Paul George continues doing what he's doing, then, you know, he's also going to be able, I think, to eat into some of those on-ball possessions. Like, as long as Westbrook is able to make himself useful away from the ball, which has always been a bit of a bugaboo for him in the Thunder, then I think they're going to be okay. But they are another team, I think, that really needs to make an addition. And they need, like, if they could somehow get a guy like Wayne Ellington just like a gunner you know like a hired gun who can come in and give them a little bit of spacing and not compromise them at the defensive end i think that's gonna um really go a long way toward making them like a more viable playoff foe um the other thing i'll say like the warriors matchup has actually been like pretty good to the thunder over the last couple of years and the biggest thing the biggest reason for that to me has been like the warriors don't have any answer for steven adams in the middle like he just absolutely dominates them on the offensive glass and in the post. So to me, the big question about that potential matchup would be like, what condition is Boogie in when he comes back? Because if he is something resembling the Boogie that we've seen in the past, then that advantage kind of evaporates for OKC. 
Um, and like, I think, I don't know what Robertson is going to look like when he comes back, but I are like, they are already the best defensive team in the league. And I think what they need right now is somebody to just like open up their offense a bit. So I don't know how much Robertson's actually going to help. I mean, obviously just like having that kind of depth is always a good thing, but look, they're dead last in the league in three point shooting. And I just don't know how far you can go in the playoffs when that's the case. Trade them for Terrence Ross. Maybe. You know, t- Terrence Ross is a very hot uh, trade commodity right now, and I, I don't understand it. I really don't. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> people people have to look at Terrence Ross's playoff numbers before acquiring Terrence Ross for the playoff run. Okay, but that was before. That was, that was pre-breakout Terrence Ross. The guy is having an outstanding season. I mean, uh, outstanding being relative, obviously, but yeah. uh, by his own standards. I mean, he's shooting the ball really, really well. And I think he's actually, like honed his his handle a little bit like he can he can get to his spots and like get a shot off the dribble pretty well at this point um and i think that like he's not just a spot up guy you know what i mean like at the end of a busted possession like he can go and make something happen and i don't know i think he's played pretty well and i don't like you're not expecting terrence ross to come in and be your savior or anything you're just expecting him to come in and be like a quality role player and i definitely think that he can play that role for a contending team yeah like having schroeder and ross off the bench is not necessarily the worst thing yeah. right Look, especially because were... patrick patterson has two three-pointers <laughs> in december so far yeah and and they're relying on like alex abrinas right now you're telling me terrence ross would not be an upgrade on alex abrinas okay that's fair it's a, it's a marginal upgrade but I, I would just say that like terrence ross is sort of notoriously streaky and um i don't know i'm, I'm not sure the physicality uh, of the playoffs is going to sort of get to him again because we've just seen him in Toronto. Like he's he's had a couple playoff runs where he's just completely faded. Um, I guess we can circle back to the the Nuggets a little bit because we talked about everyone else extensively. I mean, with the Nuggets, like, is it is it going to be enough for them to just get healthy and then ride out that group, or is it is there a case where maybe they should also look into making another addition because um, you know they're kind of getting these wins, you know, with some of these guys out of the lineup like. Jamal Murray's actually looked really good as a primary playmaker. Um, and, of course, Jokic has been Jokic. But, like, is getting Millsap back and getting Harris back and getting Barton back, like, is that enough uh, of, you know, to basically sustain that? Because, first of all, we never even see this group in the playoffs in, in the first place, right? Yeah, like, I, I guess you could say that inexperience would be a concern. But uh, wh- I don't know what upgrades this team really has to make you know like looking up and down their roster i don't know what kind of trade package they would cobble together and what kind of player they would even be looking to get back in return i actually think this is a pretty well balanced roster like what do you think that they need that they're missing um i I feel like honestly they could probably upgrade a little bit at power forward um i know that's gonna be difficult but uh, milsap has just like never looked that impressive to me uh, with the nuggets and you know he's very important for the defense. I get that, but offensively, he's just not the same type of Millsap that uh, we've seen previously. And his skills are kind of redundant with Jokic. So I mean, I don't know. I might look for better, but I think you're right. Like the 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 depth in this roster, first off, is already starting to show. The fact that they're getting these results is you know a testament to their depth. But um, I, I don't know. It's just not entirely inspiring. You know what I mean? But I, I guess for Nuggets fans, like I, I think they should be pretty happy with just going into the playoffs into the first place. I know that's kind of um, almost putting the bar too low for a team that's sort of consistently been at the top of the conference this year, but yeah, um, I think this is a young group, and I think they should give, be given a chance to grow, really. Yeah, like Millsap's 
the only guy, well, next to Nick Young, that's over 30 on the roster. And all their guys are, you know, like Jokic, Murray, Harris. Like, they should just get into the playoffs and see, right? Like, I don't know if Isaiah Thomas is going to give them anything when he comes back. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm guessing, like, you know, they have Michael Porter Jr. as, like, you know, a trade chip or some someone down the line, like, for next season that they could add in. Like, it seems like this is a good season for them. Like, they missed the playoffs in, in the last game of the year, last year. Like, let's get in the playoffs, see how, like, you know, the core does, like, Jokic, Murray, Harris. And, like, Millsap's a free agent, I think, right? Well, he has, yeah, a, they got he has a, a player option. Yeah, so he could potentially go. Or it's and, a team option, actually. Yeah, team option. So they could... You know, if they want to upgrade or, or add a different kind of power forward to the mix, they could do that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like they should do anything. I think they should just go into the playoffs and see. I think the stakes are lower for them, you know, than for a team like OKC, where Westbrook is in his prime and maybe even at the tail end of his prime. Um, and Paul George, you know, the same thing. Like, um, the Thunder really, I feel like, have to win now and the nuggets obviously it's great what they're doing and it's been a really exciting season for them obviously they would love to get those playoff reps in and win around or maybe even two but they don't have as much riding on this season as some of these other teams do so i agree like i think they can afford to take a wait and see approach um i'm interested to see what they do with that paul Millsap team option because that's a lot of dough to be shelling out for a guy who like you say like his offense has kind of fallen off um, but he has been instrumental, I think, in turning that defense around as well. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they would even really want to do with that cap space if they turned down that option. So I kind of expect them to pick it up. But um, I, the team's just been so impressive. And, and I think, you know, like the fact that they haven't even made the playoffs yet uh, during this Jokic era, um, I don't think they're going to be happy just to get there. But I think... Um, they need those those playoff data points, I think, uh, to figure out whether um, whether this can be like a contending core moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, we talked about uh, the we sorry we uh, we talked about the Lakers earlier, and um, you know they're always in the news for one reason or another. But uh, there's just sort of been this ongoing discussion that. Anthony Davis is, you know, eventually going to leave uh, New Orleans, which, you know, is not determined, but we'll see if he turns down the Supermax or not. But uh, basically LeBron forced that conversation open by saying that, yeah, it'd be great to play with Anthony Davis. And, you know, um, I think there is obviously that clutch sports connection there, AD signing with clutch and obviously um, clutch being so heavily tied to LeBron. But first off, do you guys think it's even realistic that the Lakers can get Anthony Davis because I think people are just glossing over the fact that, you know, in order to, for them to get AD, they need to actually trade for him. And New Orleans needs to actually agree to that. And I don't, at least for me personally, I'm not that confident that the Lakers have enough assets to get that done. Um, yeah. I mean, it really just depends on what, other teams in the league are willing to give up like this is obviously assuming that davis even becomes available in a trade but um it it might end up being a situation like Kawhi. there was a lot more uncertainty with Kawhi, but i think you know if if this trade is happening say in the summertime because i don't see it happening during this season but if it's happening in the summer when he has one year left on his deal there's going to be a lot of reluctancy from a lot of these teams to give up much of value, not knowing whether he's going to be w- like willing to resign there. And I feel like the Lakers 
will be more willing to do that knowing that he's signed with clutch sports like knowing that they play in a glamorous market you know for a prestige franchise like i I just think that they can afford to uh be a little bit looser with their assets in a situation like that than some teams can but i mean like if you were say the 76ers and we've talked about this before about how like they might ultimately have to consider trading ben simmons because of the awkwardness of the fit there um I mean, that would be a pretty good asset for the Pelicans to recoup in a situation like that and probably better than anything the Lakers can offer. Um, I just don't know. I I think there's so much uncertainty with those Lakers young guys, right? Because they show flashes Mm -hmm. and they will go through these stretches where they look like blue chippers and then they'll hit these lulls where it's like you can't even really project them into the future and you don't know if they're going to be anything more than like above average role players. Uh, like Brandon Ingram, I still can't project at all. I, I have no idea what that dude is going to be. Lonzo Ball, right. the same thing. Um, you know, so I think it's really tough, and I don't know how those guys are valued around the league. But um, some people have brought this up, like Brian Windhorst, I think, mentioned this in a column. But uh, it might behoove the Lakers to get really aggressive in trying to get Anthony Davis now while the, the Celtics are basically out of the bidding because they have um, Kyrie Irving on that, like, designated uh uh, contract and like they can't acquire Davis and they can't have two guys uh, on those deals on their roster at the same time so that's one potential suitor who at this moment in time is like not able to get in on the bidding and, and maybe that makes this the right time for the Lakers to make like an all-in push but I just don't know if the Pelicans are even gonna like pick up the phone right now yeah I don't think anything's gonna happen like during the season and like I don't think it even matters that you know the Lakers not necessarily having like the best assets to offer like if davis signals that he wants to go to la and that's the team that he's willing to sign long term with like the pelicans will have to figure something out right like it's not like if he if he says he wants to go to the lakers like danny ainge i don't think is going to swoop in and try to pull all his assets together like in the offseason whatever to try to trade for him and i think the lakers have to push like in the summer if this is what they're trying to do because you know they passed on paul george and then he went to okc and they thought they were going to get him in free agency anyways and didn't even get a meeting um no one really knows what happened with Kawhi, whether he signaled that he didn't want to play with lebron or if the spurs just didn't want to trade him in the western conference but they you know technically they missed out on that too and like it's a clear understanding that like whatever this team that's been cobbled together in LA for this one year is a one year thing with all these guys around LeBron and the one year deals. And, you know, magic's come out and said that he's going to get another superstar next summer. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's KD like KD could go there. Who knows? But I think the Lakers have to like, just go all in and get Davis. And I don't necessarily think it's going to be that hard. If Davis does just signal that that's where he wants to go. I also just think, like, if the Lakers have LeBron and Anthony Davis on the same team, I really don't think it matters who else is on that roster. You know what I mean? And, like, I don't know. Like, that's that's true for, like, the Lakers, and it's true for the Warriors, and I don't know if it's true for any other team in the league. Like, maybe the Rockets, but, I don't, I don't, like, the Rockets don't have the assets to get a deal like that done. But I think there's, like, there are a couple teams where it's, like, you just get Anthony Davis and, like, give up whatever you have to give up to get him, and, like, the rest doesn't matter. And the Lakers, for me, are one of those teams. Like, LeBron and Anthony Davis together would be ridiculous. Yeah, and in a way, it helps. It kind of helps that they don't have another guy who's, like, a blue chipper. Because if the Pelicans are forced in a situation where they have to deal with the Lakers, like, the Lakers will literally give them just anything. Like, you can take Ingram. You can take Ball. Like you said, like, these guys are good. Like, they're obviously not, like, bad players. But, 
you know, you get LeBron and you get Anthony Davis and you just sign 10 other guys and <laughs> just pick up three guys on buyouts. You know, Trevor Ariza will be available next year or something and right. that's it. Yeah, I mean, or um, they, can, they can also just, I guess, wait it out. I, I, like, if they, if they don't get the guy that they're looking for this summer... But LeBron's turning like 36 by then. Yeah, yeah, that's what makes it But tough. now I mean, the clock's ticking for LeBron, right? right? Like back then with like George and Kawhi, it was like, all right, we're a rebuilding team. We don't even have LeBron. We don't even have a single guy, right? Now I feel like LeBron, Le, I mean, LeBron coming out and saying all this stuff this week is already like, you know, like passive aggressive GM LeBron's back, you know? Like he's signaling to like the management, like, you know, I would like to have Anthony Davis on my team. Is <laughs> uh, his exact quote. <laughs> I mean, first off, that's, I don't know if that's tampering or not, but that's pretty wild for him to just come out and say that. But, um, well, players can't, you, there's no rule against players tampering. There's no rule against player being like, it would be incredible to have this guy as my teammate, I guess. Right? Yeah. Hmm. Um, which is it's like, fine yeah. I, don't well, I mean, know, didn't Giannis tamper last night then after the game? Cause, you know, reportedly he told AD to come to Milwaukee. Yeah. He was doing that's that last season with LeBron, too. He was telling him to come to sign with the Bucks. Like, Giannis been tampering. Yeah, this just shoots your sides just for no reason. But um, <laughs> look, if, if New Orleans comes to you and you're the Lakers and they say, look, we want all your young guys, and then there's, there's no discussion. We want Kuzma, we want Ingram, we want Ball, and we want Josh. <laughs> Let's go. It's done. Magic Johnson will sign that. Magic Johnson and Rob Lowe, they'll take care of that in a second. That. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm sure they'll push back on certain things. Like, they're not going to give a package of, like, five players, I think. They'll draw a line, but I don't think they're going to draw a hard line. Like, if you're getting Davis... Like he's just gonna do it. Yeah, I think I think asking for all four of those guys might be a bridge too far. Um, but like, I think they like I, I would put three of those guys in a deal without thinking too hard about it. All right. Well, um, yeah, the super team. I mean, look, if the Lakers have their way, they're gonna try to sign someone this offseason and then flip the rest of the assets for AD, and all of a sudden there will be a new super team. It'd be really fun to watch. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break right here, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the Eastern Conference playoff race and uh, do make or miss. Hey, listeners. A friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network. For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app, where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to the second half of Pound the Rock. Still here with Wolfon and Alex. Let's talk about the Eastern Conference. Um, the Indiana Pacers have really come on strong. Um, they had a seven-game win streak. Uh, it got snapped, though, uh, because they lost to the Cavaliers on a buzzer beater, and then they lost to the Raptors on very controversial no-call where Boyan Bogdanovich was going up for three to tie the game and send it to overtime. And OG Ananobi clearly slapped him across the hand, and uh, there was no foul call. But, you know, the Pacers have looked really good. They've come on strong. You know, they survived Oladipo's absence. And, uh, Wolfon, you were down at the arena yesterday to talk to the Pacers. Um, you know, what, what? what's your impression of the Pacers? Because, quite honestly, I feel like a lot of teams, a lot of people are sleeping on this team. Yeah, I mean, I think the the sense I get is that they're a much more confident team. Like, they surviving Oladipo's absence, I think, was just huge for their psyche. They went zero and seven with him without him last year, and like they went seven and four without him this year. 
you know, they didn't play a daunting stretch of schedule in those 11 games, but still, like, you go 7-4 and four against, uh, you know, 11 NBA teams. Um, that's pretty impressive without your best player, and um, they're second in the NBA in defense. Like, and, and that's not a mirage. I don't know if they're going to finish number two in defense, but they're a legitimately great defensive team. And I think they have defensive talent, but the majority of it to me is just like effort, communication, and a, a notable lack of screw-ups. Like they double the ball a lot. They, they put a lot of pressure on you, but they recover really, really well. They close out to the three-point line really well. Uh, they force a lot of turnovers, and they make really pristine rotations. And I think... First of all, like, Miles Turner has been unbelievable. Like, I can't say enough about how good his defense has been. Um, and I think he was a guy who I said before the season that I expected to take a leap. I feel like a lot of people think that he has sort of plateaued because his offensive numbers have stayed the same and they don't really pop off the page. But he's been incredible in the middle defensively, just, like, maybe maybe the best rim protector in the league so far this season. And... Um, like really all defensive quality of play, I think. And Thaddeus Young obviously has come on really, really strong in the last couple of weeks, picked himself up a player of the week award. Um, and, you know, that basically came uh, after a week of games in which he locked down Giannis Antetokounmpo and Ben Simmons in back-to-back games. Um, I love I love the roster balance on this team. I love their two big guys. Sabonis has obviously been incredible off the bench and I'll have a column coming out about him in the next couple of days, uh, I like. I think there are still legitimately uh, le- legitimate concerns about them offensively. I just don't know if they have enough firepower to like make their way into the conversation as a second round team in the East, given uh, the other four teams that they're going to be competing with. But they play hard, man, and they play smart. They're rugged. Uh, they're physical, and I-, I think you know they have a lot of confidence right now, and deservedly so. And I think they're a little bit like the Nuggets in a way that, you know, I know they were in the playoffs last year and they took the Cavs to seven games. Like, let's just get in the playoffs and see if there's like any sort of development there, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're saying, like Turner's been better. Like the team's overall been better. Kind of know what Oladipo brings. Um, Core is relatively young. Like, I don't know the exact contract situation of those guys, but, you know, there's not as much pressure like like Wolfon was saying, like with some of the other West teams too, right? In the East, you know, Philadelphia's on a clock, Boston's on a clock, Toronto's on a clock. I guess Milwaukee's on a clock too. I don't feel that way with the Pacers, right? Yeah, and I think they they are playing in that sort of loose, like nothing to lose kind of way. Um, they have a bit of a chip on their shoulder, I think, because they don't feel like they're you know ever really get put in that conversation with the other best teams in the Eastern Conference, but. Um, I think, you know, they have a lot to prove because a lot of people look at them and say, well, look, they have Oladipo and then they don't have a secondary star. And I push back on that a bit because, like, these things are not binary to me. And and there are some teams that have, like, a singular superstar and uh, not enough help around them. And, you know, that puts a pretty firm ceiling on what they're capable of doing. But there aren't a lot of teams that have the kind of role player depth that the Pacers have. And if you surround your one superstar with a handful of elite role players, I think that that's a team that can actually accomplish some things. And like, I, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that team's going to make it to the conference finals, but I think that they're a team that could win around in the playoffs. I really do. Um, and I think the defense is real. Uh, and 
I still think that maybe they have a move to make. Uh, maybe that comes down to you know their willingness to trade one of those big guys because there is a little bit of overlap between Turner and Sabonis. But um, I just like the way they're playing right now, and uh, I, I look forward to seeing what they can do for the rest of the season. Um, how do you see the Pacers matching up with a team like, say, the Sixers, where where like the Sixers are very top heavy? They have the, their three stars, and then the rest of the roster is just kind of, you know, trying to make do. Um, you know, and like you mentioned, the Pacers have this great depth, and they're they're tough and gritty. Like, how would you see a playoff matchup going between those two teams? I would probably lean toward the Sixers, but I think it's really close, um, and that's where you get into like how much dynamics tend to change in a playoff series when rotations tighten um, and, you know, your top guys are playing 40-plus minutes a night. Like, are the Pacers going to have an answer for that trio of players? I don't know. But I will say this. Like, they they are a team that I think can exploit uh, a, a, a sort of misfit roster like Phillies. Like, a team that doesn't have ideal spacing is a team that the Pacers, I think, can really strangle defensively you know what i mean like they do such a good job of like leaving all the right guys open bringing timely double teams clogging up driving lanes clogging up the paint um i think the sixers might have a really tough time scoring in that series uh i just think the pacers might have similar difficulties scoring on the sixers so um ultimately i would probably lean toward philadelphia but that like to me is something close to a toss-up right now yeah i feel like the pacers would be able to match up over a seven-game series against a lot of those other East teams. And again, like Wolfon said, it's just a matter of how like the rotations and, and the matchups play out. But they're like they're going to give one of these teams like a really hard series, whether it's in the first or second round. Like They're not the type of team that's got the talent now and then get to the playoffs and they'll get swept. Like I know the LeBron-Cavs team last year obviously wasn't the strongest, you know, finals team ever, but... You know, the Pacers played really well for really large stretches in that series. Like, that was one of those series where you look back and you're still unclear other than just being like, yeah, LeBron was incredible. Like, how the Cavs even won that series. I felt like the Pacers won, like, six out of those seven games. Yeah, they outscored the Cavs by, like, 40 points over those seven games. So, I think you could say that they were the better team in that series. And ultimately, yeah, they lost because of LeBron and because Tristan Thompson basically came out of nowhere to have a huge Game 7 performance. And, um, and I mean, there were other structural issues, I think, that got exposed. Like, the, the Cavs started trapping Oladipo to get the ball out of his hands, and the Pacers had, you know, pretty mixed results when that happened. Uh, they didn't have a lot of secondary playmaking. That's still an issue for them. Tyreek Evans was, I think, a guy who I expected to solve that problem for them, and that hasn't happened. He has not been good. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see when they get scouted uh, how that changes their dynamic. But um, I'm pretty high on them right now. And I think I think they belong in that conversation, right? I, I think this is a five-team conference right now, not a four-team conference. Yeah, for sure. I think we've shown, they've, they've shown that much. Um, the Celtics, they've also come on strong of late, although they lost to the Pistons and then the Suns, which is just <laughs> super weird. The Suns are ruining their own tank by winning four in a row now. But... Um, the Celtics had an eight-game win streak before that. Uh, a lot of that was against uh, lower-tier competition, but it looked like they had solved a lot of their issues offensively. We've talked sort of at length about how much the Celtics, um, they just, like, don't really uh, perform to their talent in terms of offense, and 
Um, it seems like it's less than some other parts in terms of just how much talent they have, but their offense looks a lot better of late. Um, Kyrie's playing really well, and Al Horford's come on a little bit stronger too. And um, I don't know if it's like sustainable in the long run if they're going to run with Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart in the starting lineup, but so far it's working. And um, I don't know. What do you guys think about the Celtics right now? Because it, it, it seems like right now they finally hit their stride. Yeah, so it starts with Kyrie, right? So in his last 10 games, he's shooting 50% from the field, 47 from three, 86 from the, from the free throw line. He's averaging 25 points, seven assists, and five rebounds, basically. And I think like when his numbers perk up and he's playing well, that's why you'll see that they were like number one in net rating in their like last nine or 10 games, right? And I know they've been shuffling like the rotations a lot. And, you know, Al Horford's out with a sore knee. And like they, like you said, I mean, they beat like what, Chicago, New York, Washington, and Atlanta were some of the teams that they beat during their recent win streak. But there's something to be said about them cobbling together that stretch, even against like not the best teams in the league. I mean, that's what the Raptors have been doing for like four years in the regular season. And, you know, I think they're going to figure it out. Like they have the pieces is the thing, right? Like we talk about all these teams about how they're going to perform in the regular season and then how that's going to translate in the playoffs. Like they have the guys offensively and defensively when the roster is healthy that, you know, I think Brad Stevens is going to figure out the rotation that works based on the specific matchups in the playoffs. So they're not necessarily going to end up being like the regular season juggernaut that I think everyone predicted them to be 60 plus wins and all of that. But they're pretty on track to be, I think, exactly where we expect them to be when the playoffs start. Yeah, I mean, the the big question I have about this team is just what is Hayward going to look like at the end of the season? You know, is he going to look like a different player? Is he going to be the guy that they need him to be? Because if he's not, and, you know, if if Tatum, like, doesn't make the leap that really we expected him to, then I don't know if this team is anywhere close to as good as we thought they were going to be. Like, certainly, they are, they are not the offensive team that we thought that they could be. Um. I'm like done doubting their defense. Their defense for the second straight season been absolutely elite. Um, and, and, you know, there are reasons for that. I like Horford when he's healthy is an outstanding team defender. Marcus Smart is maybe one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Kyrie has been putting in a lot more effort at that end of the floor this season. Like they're a good defensive team. But um, Tatum has stagnated a bit, even though he's been better of late. And Hayward, like despite having you know glimpses and games where he looks like the same sort of playmaking force that he was when he was healthy uh, he's just like he's been so inconsistent and like I, I don't know man I, I like I don't know if I see him like it, it getting to a place by the end of the season where he is actually going to be a major contributor for this team yeah and I think Hayward's struggles are compacted by the fact that you also have Jalen Brown, who's also been really struggling of late. Um, pretty much all season, his role hasn't really been there. And, like, I think he's trying to force a couple things on offense. And you could see there's a couple examples where you got Celtics teammates, like, screaming at him on the court because of um, Brown basically breaking up the play to, to call his own number. And Jalen Brown, you just kind of – people expected him to take a big leap. I mean, he was really impressive in last year's playoffs. He had a lot of great moments. But this year he's averaging 11 points per game, shooting 40%. And – you know, less than 30 from the from the three-point line. And even his defense hasn't necessarily been, you know, as solid as it can be. And you got both those guys being inconsistent. You got Marcus Morris basically being the second-best offensive player on this team some nights. Like, I, I don't know. The Celtics are just, are just very strange. And it just feels like Kyrie has 
more urgency for this team than anyone else. And I just think that's funny because, like, I just remember, like, Kyrie on the Cavaliers and how much LeBron was sort of throwing people under the bus and saying, you know, these young guys got to learn and take under my wing and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, it's like Kyrie's turn and to lead, and he's basically doing the same thing that LeBron did. And it's he's even citing LeBron a lot, which is funny because he left LeBron. It seemed like he was fed up with that approach, and now he's taking that approach. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't... Uh... I don't know. I, it's I can't get a read on Kyrie and like the things that he says and and like who or what he is as a leader. Um, I think it's rare that you'll hear anybody like his teammates or uh, anybody around the league really like say a bad thing about him. I think he's pretty well regarded and well liked. Um, I don't think he has been the issue with this team. Like I think he's aside from a rough like first couple weeks of the season, he's been unbelievable. Yeah, um, I, I think. You know that's not where their problems start at all, uh, and and I ultimately think that they'll be fine. Like they'll still be a really good team. I just don't think that they are the team that we expected them to be. And I don't. I think it's it's there, there's too much evidence now for us to just say like give them time, give them time, they'll get there. Like I think they'll look better by the by the end of the season than they look now or than they have looked so far, uh, but. I think we might have to start reevaluating what this team is. The thing with like Hayward too is, you know, he's obviously not been playing well. Like, do you guys think they actually, like if he's not playing well towards the end of the season, like, do you think that's actually like, do do you think they need him in the playoffs or do they have other guys that they can just phase him out of the rotation altogether? If, if it comes to that, right. I still think they're going to need him. Like just to, to basically spearhead those bench units even. I mean, whether or not he's coming off the bench by the end of the season is, like, another question that I think is worth considering. Like, is this a long-term solution for them, or are they ultimately hoping to get him back in the starting lineup? Like, I kind of expect that he'll be back in the starting lineup by the end of the season because I don't think Marcus Moore is going to shoot, like, 43% from three all year. Um, But I don't know. I really don't. Like, I, I think it's just been so hard to peg him and, like, what is what specifically is ailing him like he doesn't quite look as explosive as he used to he looks a little bit more tentative we've talked about this a lot but I don't know Will have you like is there anything that you've seen that is like giving you an indication that he is rounding back into form or that's giving you an, an indication that he's not going to round back into form um I just think it's it's kind of a role issue right like because he kind of just blends in like he has the same role as Tatum as Brown and as Morris and where he should be is either the second or at worst the third option on this team behind Tatum and Kyrie but he kind of just fills in a role he fades in the background a lot and I think that's why they've shuffled the lineups so that he could have more of the ball and be more of a featured player but I don't know man it's also tough like his finishing around the basket has obviously fallen off a lot Um, I think some of that has to do with obviously the injury but you know he was at 69% um, in his last year with Utah and this year, uh, within three feet, he's shooting 52%. So, like, I just don't think that he's as confident going to the rim. And I think that's hurting his game a little bit. But I think ultimately, like, the role that Hayward needs to play on this team is that he needs to be that secondary playmaker, right? Because, like, Kyrie can make plays for other people. Hayward is – or um, Horford's pretty good at that too. But they ultimately need uh, Hayward to step up and basically almost be a backup point guard in a sense. Because, like, it's not like Terry Rozier has been great, you know, this year either, right? So – I don't know. Boston's just very strange. I just think that they had so much expectation heading into this year, and it just hasn't necessarily panned out. And it's just from the outside, it just seems like a lot of people are frustrated there. Um, 
all right let's uh let's 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 wrap up the podcast by doing make or miss um you know it's pretty straightforward i'm gonna read out a statement and if you guys agree it's a make if you guys disagree it's a miss so let's start here um the wizards adding trevor reza means that they're committed to keeping wall and beal I would call that a miss just because I think they would probably still be delighted to get off of John Wall's contract if they could get, you know, anything resembling a decent return for him. Um, And honestly, I'm not even positive that they wouldn't just straight salary dump him if they could at this point. Like, he's had a couple really good games in the past couple of weeks, and, and... uh, that has, I think, reminded some people of what he's capable of when he was fully locked in. I just, there are some other games where he really just can't be bothered to give much of an effort, and I don't, I, I don't know, like, how how long are they willing to play out the string on this thing, right? Like, they go and they get Ariza, they trade one of their their few young players, you know, with anything resembling long term upside in order to get Ariza a guy on a one-year contract who's 33 years old to help them what like push for the for the eighth seed you know like i don't really know what they're doing i just think that um you know if they had an opportunity to get off a wall that they would still try and do it uh, regardless of having made this move yeah well first shouts to cash who's traveling for work anytime we talk about the wizards and ernie grunfeld we have to include him i'm gonna say miss as well you know the wizards are kind of like a like just headed for a divorce you know everyone's sick of each other no one's trying anymore but there's like a lot of money involved so it's hard to figure out what to do and like like Wolfon said like i don't get the trade like you know if you don't think Ubre is part of your future i guess it kind of makes sense because he's headed to restrictive free agency but it's not like bringing in ariza is changing anything he already said last night after the rockets dropped like 303 pointers on them that um the main issue is effort like every quote coming out of the Wizards locker room last night was that the issue is effort. And it's been a thing that's been repeated since the start of this season. And yeah, so it's a miss for me. I think, you know, if they can get off Wall's contract, they will. Still think they should keep Beal, but I don't think the Ariza move means that they're somehow committed to moving forward with those two guys. All right, next one. Make or miss, James Dolan actually sell the Knicks for a quote-unquote bona fide offer. Um, I'm going to call it a miss uh, there like in that Ian O'Connor story, you know, where he sat down with James Dolan for like a two hour interview. Uh, he brought up the fact that there had been some rumblings that Dolan had fielded offers in the range of $5 billion for the Knicks, which if true, I mean, that is, that's more than double what anybody has paid for an NBA franchise. Uh, the Knicks, I think, top like the Forbes uh, valuations of NBA teams. I think they're valued at like over three billion dollars. But even so, I mean, if he's getting offered five billion dollars to buy the Knicks, and he hasn't sold them yet, I just like what is he holding out for at this point? Uh, this does not seem like a guy who is ready or willing to cede control of this organization. Yeah, I'm gonna say miss too, and just to jump on Wolfon's point I don't think money is really an issue for James Dolan I mean he's spent a lot of money poured a lot of money into the Knicks he gave Phil Jackson a lot of money he's given everyone a lot of money Phil Jackson Jerome James you can go down the list <laughs> players management mainly just Phil Jackson and Jerome yeah James. those those are really the two classic examples <laughs> of uh, Knicks ineptitude over the last two decades but 
you know, for a lot of these guys like Dolan, like after reading that profile about him or, you know, we, we didn't even need to read that profile about him to know that a lot of these guys are just driven by just ego and pride and just winning. Right. He said in the article that if the Knicks ever won a championship, he wouldn't go to the parade. But I bet, you know, he would definitely make himself the center of attention of, of something like it would validate all of this criticism that he's taken and, and prove everyone wrong. But. Yeah, I'm going to say a miss, but, you know, he should sell the team to Jesus and Miro and have them just completely rebrand the Knicks is my suggestion. That would be incredible. Um, also, we forgot the fact that the Knicks gave Joakim Noah $72 million. Yeah, I don't that know was... why Jerome James was the first one that came to my <laughs> mind. Yeah, um, there's a lot of recent examples as well. But, uh, okay, next one. Make or miss, the league should fine officials for missing obvious calls like when James Harden did the double step back. Um, I'll, I'll call it a miss. I mean, I, I think I'm more sympathetic to referees than most. I think they have a really hard and really thankless job. The um, man did a double step back. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, when, when stuff like that happens that is just so obvious, and, you know, not only does it go uncalled, but the foul goes against the opposing team, um, obviously it sucks and everybody wants to publicly shame them. And, you know, nobody's out here posting videos of the refs making, like, a great call. That it's, like, it would just take, like, a, an incredible processing speed in your brain to make a bang-bang call like that. And they got it absolutely right. Like, more people should do that. Just to, like, so there's, like, a little bit more balance there in people's coverage of NBA refereeing. Because I, I just think, like, I don't think fines are really solving anything. Um and I do think maybe they could have like a more coherent disciplinary structure in place for referees who do a poor job. I mean, I know like the evaluating system that they have for them is very opaque. Nobody really knows, um, you know, from the outside at least how these refs are evaluated and um, and basically like what uh, you know what what the rewards or punishments are. I mean, like I guess you could talk about like refereeing playoff games or finals games and things like that as a reward for refs who do a good job but um at the end of the day I, I just think like they get embarrassed enough and piled on enough that i don't think you know and they're not making like enough money i don't think that uh it would be beneficial to find them um i just think maybe especially with things like traveling like they've there's been a big uh point of talking about these new like not rule changes but like points of emphasis this season and I feel like traveling is one where there should be points of emphasis moving forward because there are so many instances of it that go uncalled and yet like so many very specific ones that get over-policed. Like the one that comes to mind for me is the one where like a guy will catch the ball on the wing and it, there's a closeout, they'll attack the closeout and pick up their back foot before they dribble the ball and it gets called every single time. And sometimes it gets called even when there isn't a the travel there. I just think that that's the one that they have been trained to look out for more than any others. Whereas stuff like these step backs and side steps or like people who are like pivoting in the lane, like there are so many instances where travels go uncalled. And I just think they're, they, they need to take a longer look at that and figure out how they want to police that rule going forward. Yeah, I'm going to say miss too. And I'll keep it short because I think Wolfon made all the points that I wanted to say too is that, you know, it's easy for us to look at that double step back play on social media like a million times and scrutinize it, but it's happening at such a fast speed in like real time and depending on the angle that the ref is looking at it and it's such just a weird move from Harden that it's I think it's just in that moment it's hard to call and you know I think 
I think James Naismith would have appreciated the double step back too. <laughs> so I, I like to factor that in. So that's why it's a miss. Wow. Okay. All right. So, so far all misses. Um, this one, I hope we can get a make on this. Billy Donovan is the red coach for OKC. It just I, picked up his uh, option for 2019-2020. Yeah, I will call a make on that. I think um, that if nothing else, I mean, you know, people can and will gripe about Billy Donovan as a tactician and I guess his inability to sort of rein in Westbrook's worst impulses. Um, but I do think he's done a better job of that so far this season. I don't know whether you want to give that credit to him or just Westbrook himself. Um, but Westbrook has certainly like taken a little bit more of a backseat this year. And just as like a player manager, I think you have to give Billy Donovan a lot of credit for creating an environment where, for one thing, you know, Paul George decided that he wanted to stick around for at least three more years after coming there last year and basically having no intention of sticking around. Um, so, you know, I, I think Billy Donovan deserves credit for that. And like uh, his players seem to like him. And uh, he has, I think, had a big hand in creating the, the thunder culture that everybody lauds so often. Yeah, it's a make for me too. You know, Billy Donovan's like a crazy game six Western Conference Finals performance from Clay Thompson from being an, a, a coach with an NBA championship. And he's been through a lot during his time in OKC. He was there for the last, his first year was KD's last year. Then he had to deal with a roster of Russ going for his MVP and not a lot around him. And then last year, like Wolfon said, Paul George comes in and he has to figure out that dynamic with Russ and PG. And obviously he was a good enough coach or Russ was a good enough recruiter as well to convince Paul George to stay. And, you know, as much as we, if we're going to criticize the roster construction in OKC and the lack of shooting or the lack of depth that they have, then I think we can equally give credit to Billy Donovan for, you know, still taking the roster and molding this team into what it is and which is one of the top four teams in the West, right? Do you think that that 2016 Thunder team would have won that championship? Against LeBron yeah. and the Cavaliers? Yes, they were playing at such... I mean, you can make your case for sure, but they were... What are they? They were down 2-0 to the Spurs, I think, and then they won four in a row. Is, I, I think, what happened I, in the second round. I don't think they got down 2-0. They, they were down 1-0. They, 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 lost the, they lost the game one of that series by like 40 They points. lost a really bad game one. And then I remember everyone was like, okay, this is just the same kind of OKC run with Russ and KD. And then they just found the formula with that small lineup. And I think they had KD at the five. Like They ran over the Spurs, who were a really good team that year. And they ran over the Warriors, who, you know, 73 wins, I know. But Steph was hurt. But like, yeah, I think they would have just ran over the Cavs. Interesting. It would have been very interesting because uh, we'll never know. Man, KD would have stayed. <laughs> uh, LeBron's legacy would have been very different without that 2016 title. LeBron's legacy, and then the and then you know the Warriors. I mean, who knows what they do? But uh, that Clay Thompson that, explosion in that game is like yeah, I, An like I yeah, that's just like a really changed like the course of NBA history in so many different ways. And like not to go too deep down the rabbit hole, but you know you're saying that okay, LeBron doesn't get his. 3-1 comeback win against the Warriors and breaks the draw for the Cavs. But if KD doesn't go to the Warriors, I'm assuming LeBron would probably have another championship or two. True. That's true. Yeah. That is true. And maybe he's still in Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild to think about how many different things hinge on, on that Clay Thompson second half. Just ridiculous. Um, uh, yeah. All right. And then last thing. 
um, Nick Nurse was right to gripe about no calls for Kawhi Leonard. This happened, uh, I guess, over the weekend. But um, yeah, I mean, what do, you, what do you guys think? Do you do you guys think Kawhi Leonard is getting shorter calls, or do you think Nick Nurse is just trying to stand up for a player that uh, his organization badly wants to resign? Um, I mean, I'll call it a make in that I do think he is right to gripe about no calls on Kawhi Leonard's behalf. Uh, I won't necessarily go so far as to say, like, Kawhi Leonard specifically is being unfairly refereed or he's not getting calls that he deserves, you know, relative to other players around the league. Um, but I definitely think Nick Nurse is right to come out and, and you know, at least make a public show of having Kawhi's back. Uh for one thing, I just think, you know, that's any coach's job. Like when you have a superstar, like, you know, you want to show that you support them. And, you know, if that means taking a fine so that they don't have to, then great. But I think, you know, for the Raptors in particular, a team that is trying to convince an enigmatic player to stick around beyond this one season, uh, I certainly think that you should be trying to do everything that you could possibly do to make him feel comfortable, make him feel supported especially given the way things fell out between him and the Spurs. I think you could probably say that he didn't feel very supported by that organization last season. So uh, I think it's doubly important for the Raptors. And, um, you know, whatever uh, whatever you feel about the way that Ka- uh, Kawhi Leonard is officiated, um, I think Nick Nurse probably did the right thing. Yeah, it's a make for me too. You know, I know Kawhi, like every superstar has their gripes with not getting enough calls and Kawhi's not Shaq, but he reminds me in a way of just he's so strong that he can absorb so much contact when he's like making moves and going to the basket that a lot of stuff just isn't called because he's just like ripping right through the defenders. And on Wolfon's point too, it's a make as well because, you know, Nick's been on this agenda since training camp of saying good things about Kawhi and coming to his defense in the media you know he went out of his way nick went out of his way to applaud Kawhi's leadership even in training camp before pop said those things about how Kawhi wasn't a leader in san antonio so this is just part of the script this is so you know Kawhi knows nick nurse and doesn't recognize lawrence frank so it gives <laughs> the raptors a slight edge so right now it's 51 49 for toronto wow I will say that Nick Nurse, uh, I mean, complaining about calls and stuff like that. I mean, the the officials definitely did help them with uh, that no call to end the Pacers game. But uh, I doubt those two things are related. Anyway, I think that does it for the podcast. Uh, I want to thank Wolfon and um, Alex for coming on the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back. I'm not sure about next week, considering that it's going to be the holiday season. But we'll be back sometime soon. Um as a reminder, please uh, download the Score app. Also, um, if you're watching the Christmas Day games, which of course I'm sure everyone will be because that is probably the most exciting uh, regular season day of the year in terms of NBA basketball, Wolf and I will be doing a live blog, running live blog. So look out for that on the app. And uh, until then, pound the rock. 